Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. With the seventh pick in the 2018 NBA Draft, the Chicago Bulls select Wendell Carter Jr. from Duke University. With the 22nd pick in the 2018 NBA Draft, the Chicago Bulls select Chandler Hutchison from Boise State University. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern and 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and the host of the 312 Show on AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Bulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you follow the Locked on Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. 331-979-1369 is our text and voicemail line if you want to leave any of your reaction from last night's draft. Anything about either one of these picks the Bulls had, whether you're disappointed or you're excited for either of these guys, we want to hear from you. So hit us up at 331-979-1369. Matt, it's finally over, and it went pretty much the way we thought it was going to go, at least for the Chicago Bulls in last night's draft. How are you doing? Are you excited? Are you Do you feel good about both picks that the Bulls made last night? Yeah, what's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Hope everybody enjoyed the draft last night. Um, I've already got a, a huge amount of texts and voicemails uh, from everybody calling in and, and texting in while they were watching the draft last night. So thank you to everybody who's given us their thoughts. Pretty widespread across the board. Obviously, there are some people not thrilled with these picks. They think they're boring. People can't believe they passed on Michael Porter Jr. Um, personally, I, I mean... As you said, these are the two picks that I thought were most likely for the Bulls at 7-22. and 22. I thought if Bamba was off the board, as were all the other people that were expected to be off the board at 7, that the Bulls were going to take Wendell Carter Jr. That's what happened. And Chandler Hutchison, it turned out that the draft promise was real. Paxson was asked about it in their post-draft uh, press conference and basically said without saying, like, yeah, yeah, we promised we'd take him at 22. I think you can... Definitely make the argument that Hutchison at 22 is kind of a reach if you're talking about the overall talent that was left on the board. But it's clearly a guy that they liked very much when they brought him in for meeting and workout. 
and think that he fits very well in their system. And with Wendell Carter Jr., same thing, fits very well, a versatile kid, a two-way player at the at the center spot who they, most importantly, when you listen to what Gar and Paxson had to say, are excited about his fit with Markkinen. And that was the one clear takeaway from all of the same boring, reused, and recycled phrases that we hear from this Bulls front office. The one thing that stood out is that clearly they know after Markkinen's rookie season that he is the best piece they have right now, and their plan moving forward is to build around him, and that is a big reason why they took Wendell Carter Jr. I like the pick, too. I like the pick at number seven at Wendell Carter Jr. Obviously, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I thought for a second there when Dallas and Atlanta... <laughs> Looked like Bamba might fall to us, didn't oh, it, just man. for a second? The, the possibilities with that wingspan and then Markkinen's ability to shoot from the outside... Oh, man, that would have been a whole lot of fun to watch. Look, I'm not disappointed by Wendell Carter Jr., even in the slightest. I'm disappointed more so that Bamba didn't fall to us at number seven. I thought that could have made for an interesting pick as well. And to be to be completely honest with you, I don't know if the Bulls would have went 100% with Bamba at number seven. Like, I, I don't know if I'm completely sold on the fact that they would have taken him there. Obviously, maybe Wendell Carter Jr. would have went at six to Orlando or if they decided to take Colin Sexton there. Regardless, that didn't happen. Mo Bamba did not look happy either when getting selected at number six. I don't think he really even thought that he was going to go to Orlando either. Um, so when he went across the st- stage, he didn't look a whole lot. He didn't look too happy. Um, but Wendell Carter Jr. really liked the pick, and I think he's going to be a solid guy. And I just want to say this right off the bat. To compare him to Carlos Boozer, number one was probably the worst idea in the it's, world for ESPN ridiculous. to do. It's a, it's, a ter- it's a terrible player comparison. Chauncey Billups didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I completely about. agree with you. I, I think it was one of the worst player comparisons that he decided to make all, all night. Um, so you look at that. You know what Wendell Carter does? Play defense. <laughs> That's so true. Carlos Boozer, not so much. And maybe if he's comparing it, his game to Carlos Boozer's offensive game, okay, I could see a little bit there. But uh, yeah, Wendell Carter Jr. plays defense and he's an aggressive player, unlike Carlos Boozer at times. So I didn't like that player comparison, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Matt, I just want to get your overall takes on the NBA draft as a whole. Last night, did you enjoy the production, the theater that it was uh, following along on Twitter? For those that aren't on Twitter either, um, this was a this was a fun draft to follow along with. They all all the reporters said that they weren't going to tweet out the picks, and and then they totally just did anyway. And then after the Dallas and Atlanta trade at three and five, where Woj pretty much said on TV that the Hawks were going to take Trey Young at five, that pretty much opened the door wide open for every reporter to leak out the the picks two or three minutes before they were announced. But overall, what did you think of the draft? Was there anybody that you were surprised that slid? Was there anybody that was taken ahead that you didn't think that was going to be taken there? Uh, Overall, what was your thoughts of the the draft as a whole? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I always enjoy watching the NBA draft. Uh, I think it moves a little quicker than the NFL draft, which sometimes can feel painstakingly slow. The, The big surprise to me, and I still just can't get over this, and I don't know what the hell Atlanta was thinking. I'm like, all right, cool. You got another a future first-round pick trading down two spots. That's a pretty nice prize to get for moving down two spots. But willing to pass on bringing Luka Doncic into your organization and instead taking a gamble on Trey Young is just absolutely stupid to me. I can't believe the Hawks did that. 
you can take Luka Doncic, who most people believe, you know, despite all of the hullabaloo around DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley, is going to end up being the best player that comes out of this draft. And they could have had him at three, and they passed on him for Trey Young. To me, I'm still just sitting here this morning baffled by that. So that was the biggest surprise to me. What didn't surprise me, yuck, 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 the fact that Michael Porter Jr. fell all the way to 14, people. All of you out there who were disappointed the Bulls didn't swing for the fences with Michael Porter Jr., guess what? Six teams ahead of the Bulls passed on him. And then six picks later, after the Bulls took Wendell Carter Jr., he was still on the board. Maybe, pardon me, I'm already getting worked up. Maybe if Porter Jr. immediately got snatched up by Cleveland at 8 or the Knicks at 9, Bulls fans could sit here this morning and say, I can't believe it. Like, he was there for the taking, and we totally passed on this great opportunity. If, If that many teams passed on him, and it's not just the Bulls, and he fell all the way to 14, doesn't that tell you something about what those medicals had to say? And it was, you know, it was out there. Woj tweeted about it. Everybody was tweeting about it. Stein was tweeting about it. The medicals that Porter Jr. gave to people did not look promising long term. So the Bulls played it safe and took a guy that they really liked. So I was not surprised to see Porter Jr. fall all the way to 14. To me, like I want to just take a quick second about Michael Porter Jr. I think whatever whatever they these teams were sent yesterday as far as a couple hours before the draft must have been really bad in order to scare off this many teams especially in the lottery for him to fall all the way to 14. So I don't I don't know exactly what the medical said uh, yesterday the teams got sent but you looked at the agent for Michael uh, Michael Porter Jr. to Mark Bartlestein who tried to um, he tried to save this draft stock of Michael Porter Jr. just hours before the draft started but that was it seemed like that was a little bit too late at that point it, it was a good it's a good value for the Denver Nuggets to take a chance on him at 14. Uh, it's a team that's on the cusp of being super competitive and being a playoff team. They decide to shut him down for the entire year, which sounds like that's the growing consensus of their plan next year and try to get his body and his timing right. Hell, I, I, I see the risk there, but at, at 14, it makes it makes for at least decent value, and if he turns out to be something, uh, it's going to be a good pick for the Denver Nuggets, but I agree with you, man. I, I'm glad the Bulls didn't take the chance at number seven, and whatever those... Oh, so oh, so now you agree well, with me. I, no, I, I told you. A couple days ago, you were saying you wanted the Bulls to take the chance on Michael yeah, Porter he was Jr. Yeah, he was my third option at, at number seven. Who was number two? Wendell Carter Jr. Who was number one? Mo Bamba. So there was an opportunity to take either one of those guys. The Bulls got my number two pick on that list. So I'm not, ha- I'm not disappointed whatsoever. And I didn't know about this news about whatever these teams were saying about his medicals too going into the draft, uh, the latest stuff they got a few hours before. So that changed everything everything had that not come out we might have been talking about Michael Porter being taken at Cleveland at number eight or by the Knicks at number nine or even by the Clippers at 12 or 13 so um, whatever those medicals said must have not been good news if for him to fall all the way to 14 um, to me that was probably the biggest move of the night you you talked about the flip between the Mavericks and the Hawks I want to also talk about how about the flip with the 76ers and the Phoenix Suns for 10 and or 10 yeah, and 16. That was crazy. Uh, Philadelphia taking Mikhail Bridges and then turning right around and sending him to Phoenix for Zaire Smith. I mean, I, I think that's a great deal for, for Philadelphia. 
which is basically was operating without a front office last night um, with uh, in the aftermath of all the weird Colangelo stuff. I think that was a great trade for for Philly. I mean, I think Bridges would have fit perfectly in their system, but Zaire Smith actually probably has one of the highest ceilings of that second tier of players in the late lottery that were chosen last night. And Philly got him, and they clearly must have really wanted him and got another asset along with it. It was definitely a a shocker. I did not see that trade coming. Yeah, you think about the 2021 first-round pick for the Heat – like that's what three seasons from now that they're going to have a another first round pick, and that's going to be the a, a time where they're going to have to decide on a lot of their young players and whether or not they're going to pay them. So I think that's really good value for the seventy uh, sixers in order in case just in case that you can't decide to pay every single one of your young stars on that seventy sixers team. So I think that was good value too. I was shocked that he went for for that low I, I felt like there might have been more if you were trying to get back into the lottery and after that they made that selection but uh good move by the Suns I mean you're getting DeAndre Ayton and then Mikael Bridges too on top of that uh, I thought the Suns had a really good uh NBA draft we'll see if that ends up happening any disappointments as far as players who might have slid or uh teams that decided to take players where you were kind of looking and, and looking around and scratching your head like why would they decide on that guy anything like that happen through the first 30 picks i mean i if, if you're talking about disappointments or you know head scratchers i i'm i'm still bummed um that the bulls didn't take jacob evans over chandler hutchison i like hutchison i think he's going to be a good fit for this bulls team i just really really like jacob evans and it was even a little uh it made it me even saltier that he slid all the way down to what was it 28 where he went to the the warriors um like to me that's more maddening just because of how high I am on Evans than the Jordan Bell thing from last year. I was like, dang, like I really wanted the Bulls to take Jacob Evans, and instead he went to the best team in the league. Like I'm so pissed off about that. Um, <laughs> and then I guess like another disappointment is that, and this is something that we can talk about as far as what the Wendell Carter Jr. pick means and the fact that, hey, guess what? The Bulls didn't trade up. Told you. Um, there was talk about the Bulls trying to trade up both with Atlanta and with Memphis, and it didn't happen. And Paxson said after the draft, basically, we were not willing to sacrifice future draft assets to move up a couple of spots. And so that is a little bit of an insight into what the demand was if the Bulls wanted to move up to three or four to take Jaron Jackson Jr. or Mo Bamba. Obviously, the demand was a first-round pick. Because Dallas had to give Atlanta a future first to move up two spots. So the Bulls certainly would have had to do at least that to move up three or four spots. It's a disappointment because I really would have loved to land Jaron Jackson Jr. As much as I like Wendell Carter Jr., JJJ was at the top for me. Um, But it it, it also is a sign that like, okay, this this is a rebuilding Bulls team. Did you really want him to sacrifice a future first round pick? Assuming that they're probably going to be a lottery team again next year, you want to sacrifice a future first rounder to move up a couple of spots. I mean, I get the logic. I'm disappointed that they couldn't find a way to make it work, but I get the logic. Another thing too to factor in as far as talking about the value of that trade. Look, the Atlanta Hawks, what we had said multiple times at the beginning of this week 
was if the Atlanta Hawks are going to move down, they're going to try and take Trey Young somewhere. And obviously the Bulls were in another situation where it sucks because Orlando was the one targeting Trey Young at number six. And so in order for Atlanta right. and the Bulls to flip at three and seven, Orlando was there that they were going to probably take Trey Young if he was available at number six. So that caused a wedge, I think, in trying to find a deal that fit. And so with that in mind, the Bulls were going to have to sweeten this deal even more so than the Mavericks did at number five. So you look at that and I don't know what it would have costed the Bulls as far as future first round pick, probably plus number 22 plus Bobby Portis in order to move up or Denzel Valentine or the combination of both of those guys. Uh, Right. And and that's a and that's a heavy price tag to move up a few spots. And then when it came to Memphis, I mean, what did I tell you, Jordan? All the talk about, oh, well, Memphis isn't sold on Jaron Jackson Jr. and he didn't give them their medicals, his medicals. Well, it turns out at the midnight hour, yeah, he he got convinced talking to Memphis's folks that you know they they sold him on his future at that ball club, and he did share his medicals with them, and they realized that he was absolutely a steal at four, and they drafted him. Um, so even that hypothetical about shedding Chandler Parsons contract, which the Bulls, we now know for certain, did not want to take on. That's a lot of money to take on. The Bulls didn't think it was worth it to trade up a few spots and take on 50 mil or 55 mil or whatever it is that Parsons has left. And even if the Bulls were willing to do that, Memphis decided, actually, you know what? We really like Jaron Jackson Jr. We're going to draft him. That's exactly what I said would happen. And that's what happened. Yeah. And let's go back to your your talk about being right here about trades okay you're half right because you did say that nobody was going to trade out of the top five and then you said you especially felt like the bulls weren't going to trade up from number seven so you're half right i'm half right you're half right let's pull the tapes let's pull the tapes i'm i said it was i I said it was near 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 impossible that a team was going to trade down out of the top five let's pull the tapes but and i said on top of that even if a team trades down, it will not be the Bulls trading up. That is what I was adamant about. All right, so you're still half right. Nobody, the Bulls did oh, not I trade am, up. I am more than half but, right, and I'm and I'm also right about Michael Porter Jr. So I'm definitely more than half right across the board when it comes to the, the Bulls in the 2018 draft. Now that Michael Porter Jr. isn't here and he's in Denver, I just hope he goes absolutely off. So then you have to backstroke Look, I, on I, everything that you've said so far about him. I, I've said, I've said, if if Michael Porter Jr. proves all of his doubters wrong, myself included, I'll be happy for him. And I'll say, wow, good for that kid. He had a great NBA career. Bulls missed on that one. But right now, the day after the draft, with as far as he fell, you cannot, as a Garpax hater, say, I can't believe you pass on that kid. Because guess what? So did a dozen other teams. Very fair. Right now, it looks like a smart choice to have passed on him. And... To your point earlier, I think Denver at 14, at some point, somebody was like, all right, well, we got to take a chance on this kid who was the consensus number one a year ago. Maybe the back is fine. Maybe we get lucky and he has a healthy, great career. At some point, somebody had to take a chance on him. And I think Denver in their position, yeah, why not? But right now, June 22nd, morning after the draft, passing on Porter looks like the smart move. Can't deny I agree. That. I agree with you. I, I think what the Bulls decided to and so many Bulls fans are already so pissed off about it. it it's it's hilarious. I'm just I'm laughing my ass off over here with so many Bulls. Oh my god! Oh my god! I can't believe you passed on Porter. 
educate yourself. I, I really hope Wendell Carter Jr. comes out and has a phenomenal rookie year just to solidify the take for those fans that are upset or whining that the Bulls didn't get Michael Porter Jr. And look, I I would I would hope that the Bulls at least had a phone call with Denver when he started to slide that far and said, hey, what's it going to take for us to move up and take him? It must have been to take Porter. Yeah, to take Porter at fourteen because we talked. Bulls didn't want him, man. Uh, that's they, they were staying as far away from that as possible. Everything we heard yesterday afternoon, as it got closer and closer, was like, yeah, Bulls aren't even talking about Michael Porter Jr. Not at all. I don't think they they could have gone through the disaster of drafting him and then him turning out to be a complete bust because of injuries and like we had talked about I think maybe in the back of their minds they think about Derrick Rose and all the shit that they had to go through with him with the multiple injuries and the kind of just going through that entire saga for what three or four years as much as they're two different scenarios it still plays a lot in the back of their head especially if they're going to become competitive um, so I don't know I like the value of Chandler Hutchison too at number 22 and we're going to get into that as well as Wendell Carter Jr. at number seven um, I think I can convince Bulls fans that outside of the agent connections with Chandler Hutchison that he's going to be a really solid player for this Bulls team and I think once that fog clears and I don't know how long it's going to take for that to clear uh, that he's going to be a really productive player for the Bulls at number 22. And I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised with him real quick to, to end the MPJ conversation. In case you weren't fully tuned in and on Twitter all night last night, as I'm sure Jordan was and as I was, it wasn't even that the Bulls were picking between Wendell Carter Jr. and Michael Porter last night. He was nowhere on their board after the most recent medicals uh, that the Bulls were very afraid of because we also heard last night that the Bulls at seven, once Bob was off the board, were deciding between Wendell Carter and Colin Sexton, who was also very high on their draft boards. A point guard, while the Bulls already have Chris Dunn. So even though they really need a wing, and Michael Porter Jr. could have fit that role for them, they were so afraid of his medicals that they were choosing between Carter and Colin Sexton. Porter was not even a part of the conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they went with Wendell Carter Jr. instead of Colin Sexton. I like Colin Sexton's game. Oh, me too. Absolutely. I, I think he's a version of De'Aaron Fox, which what we wanted last year. But you already have Chris Dunn. And to me, I would rather fill a hole and a need right away with a young player at 19 then continue to add to your carousel of guards and I think you can get, can agree with me there too at number seven um, so I'm I'm so glad that they went with Wendell Carter Jr. instead we got to take a short break here on Locked on Bulls when we come back we're going to talk extensively about Wendell Carter Jr. at number seven and Chandler Hutchison both of their games and how they fit into this Bulls team and what we project for them next season so stay right here with us at Locked on Bulls be back in 60 seconds Back here on Locked On Bulls, and Matt, I, as I was going through some of the tweets last night and Bulls fans' instant reaction, I got this growing consensus that this team loves, this fan base loves to overreact about picks, and it seems like the majority of the consensus... No, get out of town. <laughs> the majority and the consensus overall is people felt really comfortable with the Wendell Carter Jr. pick. Obviously, you mentioned some of the fans that that are going to scream fire guard packs because they didn't take Michael Porter Jr. there, or they didn't trade up to try to get Doncic, or they didn't trade up to try and get... Mo Bamba or Jaron Jackson Jr. All plausible cases there, and I, I will I will 
more so agree with the fans that wish that they would have traded up or tried to trade up for Doncic. We already went through why that they weren't be it wasn't a realistic possibility for the Bulls at number seven. With that in mind, I really like Wendell Carter Jr.'s game, and the more I watch film on him, the more I'm starting to fall in love with with his game. And I think complimented next to Lowry Markinen, you look at what Bagley did last year for Duke, and at times we talked about it, he looked sort of disinterested. He wasn't as aggressive as Wendell Carter Jr. was, especially around the rim. And I think two of those things excited me a lot about his game. And the fact that he could step out to the three-point line, and it looks like his three-point shot is pretty wet. So if he can if he can increase the volume on that three-point shooting and spread stuff out with Lowry Markkinen by, while also rim protecting and being a guy that's going to be more aggressive than maybe Markkinen is in rebounding, especially defensively, uh, I think he's a good match. And people talk about his, his slow feet and said that his lateral quickness isn't great and that was one thing that was harped on especially when he was initially drafted and they were talking to him right after the podium that was one of the things that I think that he said right off the bat was his lateral quickness is something that he's been working on for the last six six eight weeks since the draft combine and the draft stuff started Uh, that was one area of improvement that he wanted and so I looked at that and if this kid is going to work hard and I, I think the basketball IQ and the IQ in general of Wendell Carter Jr. and just the type of character that he has I think you combine all of that together and it makes a really good pick for the Bulls and it makes it makes is the most logical pick for the Chicago Bulls if you look at history and what history tells us about players especially in the first in the top 10 so what was your overall what's your overall thought about Wendell Carter's game and and playing alongside Lowry Markin and, and what kind of impact can he have next year yeah I mean I think he's a perfect fit for Lowry um, I mentioned earlier that that's what the front office was really uh, talking about extensively in their meeting with the, the media last night. And it's all about the fit with Lowry in the front court and building around Lowry. And you touched on his uh, his range ability, shot 41.5% from downtown for Duke last season. And also at times when he was the focal point of the offense, uh, when either Bagley was sitting out or Bagley was resting, he showed that he could be versatile on the offensive end. He's already got some decent footwork in, po- uh, in the post and some solid post moves. Um, you know, he's he's not a great ball handler by any stretch, but he can put the ball on the floor enough to get work done in the post. He's a great rebounder on both ends of the, of the court, and uh, he he can he can run. He can run the floor. He's he's not the most athletic big uh, in this group, but the thing that I really am most optimistic about with Wendell Carter Jr. is he's got all these tools and a great body already. You know, six ten with a seven four wingspan, and he can build that frame out a little bit. But the frame's already pretty solid. He's barely nineteen years old, and you mentioned the high character, the basketball IQ, and the work ethic. You put all of that together, and this kid has the potential to do what Jimmy Butler did, which is, hey, I might not be the most talented guy coming into this draft class, but I'm going to work my butt off every season and every off season to get better and better and better. I think Carter can become an all-star level player in this league Al Horford is the comp if if Carter reaches his his potential and I absolutely think that that comp is the most logical and the most sensical of all the comps we've heard over the last 48 hours Wendell Carter Jr. is young has the work ethic and the basketball IQ to become an even better player than he is right now and even already right now his floor is pretty darn high to me I look at this and I look at 
what it would mean if the Bulls brought in Mo Bamba rather than Wendell Carter Jr. And I look at what Robin Lopez might be to this team next year, especially because they took a center here. And I feel a little bit safer if the Bulls decide to, to deal Robin Lopez next year around the trade deadline. I feel like Wendell Carter Jr. doesn't need to learn as much as Mo Bamba might as far as a project goes. But you look at the IQ of Wendell Carter Jr. too. I mean, this guy was between playing at Duke or going to Harvard. Like, you put that in a basketball mind, in a basketball sense, and I, I suggest every Bulls fan goes out, goes and reads his Players' Tribune article. It talks about his dad and where he got his work ethic from and both of his parents and growing up in Atlanta. And I thought the article is amazing. And it really just gives you an insight of where Wendell Carter Jr. came from and how hard he's worked to get to this point and the way his dad has pushed him all uh, every year leading up to the draft here and going to Duke. And you just look at the work ethic his father put in, and he always mentions how he wants to mimic that same that same aggressiveness and that same drive for his craft. And so go to the Players' Tribune and read that article. It has nothing to do about basketball and everything to do, to do about determination and his mindset coming into the NBA. It's a really fascinating article. And, and I think Bulls fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with Wendell Carter Jr. on the court, but also off the court. You talked about being a high character guy and that one of being being a, a pretty high factor in whether or not the Bulls need to take this guy. And you're adding another guy with super high character here. You add that to Lowry Markinen, and we talked about Chris Dunn's high character as well. Zach Levine's kind of the wild card, but I think he's he's got good character in him as well. So you're, you're shaping up to have a really solid locker room that I think this is the first time in a while that the Bulls have had a core of guys since maybe Noah and Rose and Dang and Gibson where they all are going to click and they're all going to mesh and you don't have to worry about chaos happening in the locker room. That being said, you look at Carter's game, I think the more highlights I watch, his three-pointer is silky, his aggressiveness at the baskets over Marvin Bagley at times. I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised, and I think you need to go watch the tape. If you're unsure about Wendell Carter Jr., go watch the tape of him at Duke, and I think you're going to understand more and more why he fits so well with with Lowry Markinen and why the Bulls decided to take him over, say, moving up from Obamba. I think he's the sure bet, and we talked about it. He's got the higher floor, maybe just a little bit of a lower ceiling than some of the other guys that went in the top five, but I'm pretty confident that that at the very least, Wendell Carter Jr. can be a starter in this league for a long time. He absolutely can, and um, you mentioned earlier, you touched on the one weak quote of a weak part of his game that he himself talked about last night and improving on his lateral quickness and that's something he's been working on already this offseason that that is a concern and I absolutely believe in his ability to improve in that area and get better but there are some Bulls fans out there who just don't see the defensive potential with Carter Jr. and I'm sorry like I don't know what you're looking at the kid I think is going to be one of the better versatile defenders in this class I've said it before I'll say it again um can probably make his way through being uh, one of the players who can guard one through five and step out and defend on the perimeter coming from the center position. And with what the Bulls are trying to do with that front court and Lowry Marketing, I think that's going to come out to be a big factor. Here's one of my favorite stats that I saw last night. This is from Seth Walder, who does stats for ESPN. Wendell Carter Jr. allowed 0.41 points per play defending post-ups last season. The best rate in Division One basketball. How did the Bulls do defending post-ups last season? 26th out of 30 teams in the league. 
Bulls were awful at post-up defense last season. They just added the best post-up defender in college basketball last year. Take that for data. Another stat that really blew my mind, and I went back and looked at this too, I think a lot of the knock on these big men were, okay, can some of these guys actually pass? Can you run an offense through one of these guys? And for the most part, I think there's a lot of questions about being able to run an offense through Marvin Bagley, being able to run an offense through Jaron Jackson Jr., being able to run an offense through Mo Bamba. You look at that. Wendell Carter Jr. had 74 assists this year. 74 assists. That's more assists than Jaron Jackson Jr., Muhammad Bamba, and Marvin Bagley Jr. combined. 74. Muhammad Bamba had 11 assists all year long. Jaron Jackson Jr. had 30-plus assists last year. Marvin Bagley was in the mid-20s. So you look at that, and you're getting a passing competent center, too, to go along with a guy like Lowry Marketing who can put the ball on the floor and can also pass. You've got three guys on the floor in your starting lineup in Chris Dunn, Lowry Markkinen, and Wendell Carter Jr. who can pass and can be guys that you run the offense through. Like You have to be excited about that on the offensive end of the, of the ball. And you brought up the concerns about his defense and be ever getting to that point where he can be maybe an elite type front court player. I think you add that offensive game and being able to pass around him. And we talked about how Al Horford can run the offense. You know, you can run the offense through Al Horford at times. And I think this is just another factor of like, look at his stats and look at what he compares to some of these other bigs and what he did in college. And even after being shadowed over Marvin Bagley on the offensive side of the ball, you look at his other abilities and his intangibles. And I think that's another point to bring up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just highlighted one on the offensive end, the fact that he actually can probably turn into one of the better passing bigs in the league. And I mentioned the uh, post-up defensive rating. Here's another defensive stat um, that people get, you know, you're talking about him getting overlooked because of Bagley that last season. Obviously, Bagley got more minutes. Wendell Carter Jr., per 40 minutes on the court, averaged 3.1 blocks per game. Or I'm, No, I'm, so, I'm sorry, uh, 3.1 blocks per 40 minutes on the court. Bagley, one. One block per 40 minutes. Carter Carter Jr. had more blocks across the season by a lot, twice as many blocks on the season as as uh, Marvin Bagley, the third, in way fewer minutes. The dick, I mean, the kid has upside everywhere you look. I have one question for you, Matt, before we get to Chandler Hutchison, about Wendell Carter Jr. real quick and just the draft in general. There was a comparison made late last night that this is oddly similar to the 2003-2004 draft of where you know LeBron went and Dwayne Wade went and all of these other guys, these stars in the top five, top six. And somebody brought up the point that they felt like this is eerily similar to the time that the Bulls didn't want to move up to try and get Dwayne Wade at four because they didn't want to trade away Danielle Marshall. And they ended up settling at number seven for Kirk Heinrich. Do you feel like that this draft is similar to that where we're going to see a lot of those stars blossom in the top five and the Bulls are going to be on the outside looking in with a pretty solid player and a guy that's probably going to be with the organization for 10 plus years and could be a productive player, but at the end of the day, not be a superstar like maybe some of these guys that went in the top five could be? I think it's way too early to tell. I mean, I I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to concern myself with that kind of hypothetical and that kind of, you know, comparing draft classes across several years kind of stuff right now. I, I like I don't know what good it does you other than making you pull your hair out to try to figure out on day one of the Bulls adding a new player to their roster if they're going to look back and regret not trading up for somebody else. 
There's no way to know that right now. And that's fair. That's very fair. And I think the same thing. I think you got to give this class, at least through their rookie contract, the ability to see what they can do. And hey, look, Trey Young was taken at five. Like he could turn out am, to be the biggest Am I disappointed bust. that they couldn't find a way to trade up to get Doncic or Jaron Jackson Jr.? Yeah, I am disappointed that they couldn't make that work. But based on what we heard about what the what the asking price was, it it wasn't in the cards. Couldn't happen. And I, I have to say, I am glad that the Bulls didn't sacrifice and mortgage most of their future or their current core to move up a couple of spots for either of those guys. If it was going to cost the farm, don't give up the farm. I know like a lot of Bulls fans aren't really sold on what the farm is right now. Even still, the asking price sounded like it was way too high. The Bulls front office didn't want to sacrifice a future first. They didn't want to sacrifice pick 22. They, from day one, were excited about adding two players from the first round of this draft. And 20 years from now, we can look back and say, man, it would have been worth a future first and 22 and this and that to get Doncic or to get Jaron Jackson Jr. And Wendell Carter Jr. was okay, but he was never great. But we don't know that right now. It's a wait. It's a waste of breath to talk about that kind of thing right now. That's fair, and I agree with you. I said, you know, we wait through the rookie contract and even beyond that. I think that's the fa- the fairest way to go into this. And if if you're thinking about comparing the t- 2004 draft to now, already on day one, like you had said, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, and you're doing Wendell Carter Jr. a disservice as far as not even paying attention to his game or what he could add to this Bulls team. So look, we have a lot H- of di- haters. Got to find a way to hate, man. <laughs> look, we have disappointment too that they couldn't move up, but I think you bo- both you and I felt a little bit disappointed there. But we're we're happy and solid with. Wendell Carter Jr. at number seven. We got to take another short break here on Locked On Bulls. When we come back, we're going to dive into Chandler Hutchison a little bit. And maybe I can convince you guys that this pick, if you can let it go throughout the shadows of the Asian connections, that he's actually going to be a pretty solid player at number 22 and a quality pick there. So stay right here with us at Locked On Bulls. Be back in 60 seconds. So one of the more bizarre stories in the NBA came from the Combine where Chandler Hutchison decided to shut down his entire workouts through the NBA Combine because there was a rumored promise between 17 and 23. All signs pointed to the Bulls because of the connections with the agent there. It turned out last night that it was true and Chandler Hutchison went at number 22 to the Bulls. And it seems like from what Gar Foreman and John Paxson said in their post-draft press conference, was that they really liked this guy outside of, and nobody really asked them either about the connections or the promises, and John Paxson kind of tiptoed around answering that question, and without saying a definitive yes or no, it was pretty he much all... He tiptoe around it. He basically did everything other than confirm that they promised to draft exactly. him. Exactly, so... He was like, he, he definitely knew that we liked him. Like, he knew that we <laughs> liked him, and we liked him a lot, and he was here, and he visited us, and we liked each other, and we liked him a lot. <laughs> so going and looking at Chandler Hutchison's game, I've talked about it a couple weeks, like for the last couple of weeks, tweeted out stats about him and pretty much tried to have Bulls fans see it from outside of the fog of the agent connections. And I know that's going to bother a lot of Bulls fans. And I don't know when that fog's going to exactly clear. I mean, the fog on the second round, selling the second round pick for a guy in Jordan Bell still hasn't cleared. So I don't know if this is going to clear anytime soon. 
but if you're a clear-minded Bulls fan and you want to come into this objectively, go look at Chandler Hutchinson's game and go watch the film on him because I think this kid at 6'7 with a 7'1 wingspan, 22 years old, coming from four years of playing at Boise State, was the Mountain West Player of the Year. And a guy that that can score the ball, can put the ball on the floor, can drive to the basket, that's fearless when he drives to the basket. Just go watch all the the times that he's playing one-on-one against a guy or he's got a guy in isolation and he drives to the basket and gets an and one. Uh, Little things like that and also shooting the three-pointer, I think that's going to be one of the things that he's going to need to work on in his game is being more of a consistent three-point shooter at the wing position. If he can do that, I think he's going to be a really solid value at number 22. And look, for everybody that said that they should have taken a risk, at number 22 who do you think you're getting in the bottom third of the lottery or the bottom third of the the NBA draft in the first round more likely than not those guys flame out after their rookies their rookie contract in five years like if you get a guy that can come in and be a rotational player in picks 20 through 30 that's good value if you can get a guy that's a rotational player for you outside of your rookie contract and he stays around in the league for six to eight to ten years That's great value at number 22. I think Bulls fans are a little bit spoiled in the fact that the Bulls have drafted well at the back third of the lottery or the back third of the draft. And so now we have this mindset that you can grab a star between 20 and 30, which is not necessarily the case. Look, I saw a stat the other day that it was 81% of players that were taken in the first round don't make it out of their don't make it out of their rookie contracts and also don't average over 10 points per game. We had somebody arguing with us that Wendell Carter Jr. and Chandler Hutchison are both going to be guys that are going to combined average 20 points per game. Look, there's only 19% of first round picks who end up averaging 10 points or more for their career. So you don't get that guy even if you're picking one through 10. It's not guaranteed. So take that in, into account and let Chandler Hutchison's game speak for itself. Don't let the agent's connections and the promise and all of that, even though how bizarre it was, and a lot of reporters and people who are close to the NBA draft and the Combine said this is one of the most odd stories we've ever seen for a prospect. But I don't think that that should overshadow what Chandler Hutchison's game can be and what it can be for the Chicago Bulls team. What do you think about Chandler Hutchison's game? Yeah, I think the uh, the reach debate and the you know taking a safe pick over a, a a risky pick at 22, it's an interesting conversation. And I think I tend to lean towards your line of thought here, which is that maybe there were some guys lying around at that spot that the Bulls could have taken a risk on. Um, maybe maybe a higher ceiling, but you don't really know what the floor is, and. Clearly, the Bulls spent extensive time scouting this kid. Paxson said exactly that. We've scouted Hutchison often. We started scouting him early, and we scouted him often. So they know this kid's game. They feel comfortable with what he can be for them. And as far as the drafting a a boring pick, an old pick, whatever, you mentioned the fact that uh, the Bulls are actually pretty good with their track record at finding talented role players late in the first round. It's something we talked about when evaluating their draft picks on our Thursday episode. Most recently, Bobby Portis at 22, going back, getting Taj Gibson at 26, Jimmy Butler at 30. To me, Taj is the interesting comparison here because a lot of Bulls fans were like, oh, this guy, he's like the oldest rookie the NBA has ever seen. Remember that? Taj came in as a really old rookie. And uh, they're like, oh, and, and people look back and say, well, yeah, Taj wasn't any good for the first few years of his of his Bulls career. That's just flat out not true. They drafted him in 2009 as one of the oldest rookies in, in NBA history. 
2009-10, decent rookie year, not a whole lot of playing time. 2010-11, Taj's second year in the league, he was playing big minutes in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, he was playing fourth quarter minutes over Carlos Boozer in the Eastern Conference Finals. Taj ended up being a great pick, and he was late in the first round, and he was an old rookie. I know a lot of Bulls fans hate this and look at the way the NBA is trending with all these one-and-done players, and it's like a disaster if you pick a kid who's 21 or 22 years old. I think that's ridiculous. And, well, you might say, oh, okay, well, he's already 22. It's not in line with the Bulls' timeline of this rebuild. Again, ridiculous. What? So when when Chandler Hutchison's 24, when the Bulls might get around to being competitive again, he's going to be, what, washed up at 24? Like what? What? What the hell logic are you using there? There's plenty to, to like about his game. Six seven seven one wingspan, one of the better defensive wings in this draft class, and a guy who, when you look at his increased minutes and increased role on Boise State Boise State's team as a junior and a senior, not only hugely increased his scoring numbers but showed that he was more willing to shoot the ball from behind the three-point line. 2.2 attempts his junior year, 4.1 three-point attempts his senior year, and in those two years, bumped his average up to somewhere around like 36-37% from down to when he was a a rookie and a sophomore shooting, or a freshman and a sophomore shooting like 24%. So the the potential for him to improve upon his three-point game is there, and right now that's the biggest concern you mentioned his ability to put the ball on the floor you're right go watch the tape if you don't believe in Hutchison's ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the hoop go watch the tape the kid can do it look he's not scared of taking the big shot either I I go back to the game where he shot where he scored 44 points and also banked in the game winner for Boise State last year he ran the floor in less than three seconds and, and was able to pull off a three-point shot to win the game. I look at plays like that and him driving and falling all over the place, getting to the basket and getting fouled are huge importance for a guy at the wing position. And look, Chandler Hutchison is going to get a lot of playing time this year. This is really the only the only true wing the Bulls have on this roster. So I imagine that this kid at 22 years old is going to get a lot of looks next year. He's going to be able to improve himself a lot this year. Look, I have a couple other stats to make maybe ease the mind of Bulls fans out there and whether or not Chandler Hutchison can play defense. So somebody tweeted at us that there wasn't going to be, can he defend? Is he going to be a guy that is even going to be remotely uh, capable of staying on the court with guys like Chris Dunn and Zach Levine? Here's this for you in his senior year. He was a 3.2 offensive box plus minus player in 2017-2018, a 4.3 defensive box plus minus player last year. He was a 93.3 defensive rating, which was first in the Mountain West. More defensive rebounds. 211, by the way, back-to-back seasons of 200 or more plus defensive rebounds for Chandler Hutchison, which was eye-popping to me. He has more defensive rebounds last year than Kevin Knox at 74, Mikhail Bridges at 158, and Miles Bridges at 194. He was nine rebounds away from defensive rebounds away from Mohamed Bamba. He was 14 defensive rebounds away from Marvin Bagley last season. So we're talking about guys that win the lottery. As far as defensive rebounder, Chandler Hutchison's the guy like I don't understand the knock because he came from a small school because he was a four-year player because of the agent connections like you're letting your mind clout your judgment here 
Chandler Hutchinson can play. And whether or not you feel like it's still a slide that the Bulls and their connections with him early on in May, who cares about that? Focus on the player that he's going to be with the Bulls and focus on the positives of his game. Yeah, he's got to figure out how to knock down the three-pointer more consistently. I get that. He's got to bulk up a little bit. But a 6'7 wing player with a 7'1 wingspan, you're able to take at 22 after you took a big man at seven and more of the safe play there. Look, my question to Bulls fans is, who else would you have wanted outside of 22? You talked about Jacob Evans and how he slid to 28. Zana Musa, he slid to 29 to the Brooklyn Nets. Outside of those two guys, who else did you want the Bulls to take that you felt like was more of a risk play with a higher reward? I don't see it. I really don't. So to knock Chandler Hutchison's game, and I think... You read up on this kid, too. He's a he's a hard worker, and I know Bulls fans are going to say, oh, that's just another buzzword for Bulls fans. I get that. Like, look, go read up on him. Go watch the film on him. Go look at the stats and compare it to other guys that were taken ahead of him. And you tell me, you convince me why he's not going to be a good player because right now all the stats are pointing to him that he's going to have a legitimate productive role on this team. And like I said, if he gets out of his rookie deal and he ends up being a rotational player for this Bulls team, that's great value at number 22 because outside of that, most of these guys in the mid-20s or back half of the back half of the first round of the draft flame out after the rookie year. So I think this is great value for the Bulls at Chandler Hutchison outside of everything that's attached to him and the bizarreness that went on into his NBA combine. I think that's just that's fogging some of the Bulls fans judgment on this guy after the first day that he was drafted. Yeah, I had somebody coming at me on Twitter this morning saying like, well, what about Kata Bates Diop? You know, the uh, power forward from Ohio State. Like, I can't believe the Bulls didn't take him um, at 22. He fell all the way to 48 in the second round. Just like Michael Porter Jr., if a guy falls, there's a reason he falls. And with Bates Diop, it's one of the worst things you can, like, one of the worst tags you can have coming into the draft. People are seriously questioning his motor and his character um, and, like, his, his work ethic. That's not who the Bulls are when, when it comes to drafting. Um, dude slid all the way to 48, and you wanted the Bulls to take a shot at him with 22? Like, I mean, what, like, what are you talking about? Look, I mean, if there's one if there's one thing that you can say uh, critically about the Bulls front office when picking this Hutchison pick, it is that it kind of fits into the narrative that they are very narrow minded, that they have, you know, they put on gigantic visors once they zero in on a guy that they like, you know, like they went back and got campaign in a trade after they failed to get him in the draft when they really liked him in the draft. They went back and got Chris Dunn in a trade after they really liked him in the draft and wanted him in the draft. Like there are umpteen examples of the Bulls becoming obsessed with guys. They signed Dwayne Wade 18 years later after they really wanted him in the draft. Like that is a legitimate gripe. That is a legitimate criticism of this Bulls front office. They tend to get narrow minded at times. And Paxson admitted last night, we've scouted Hutchison early and often. We really like this kid. Okay, well, do you really like him just because you've been watching him play a lot and you like what you see from him? And if you've been watching him play a lot and you've gotten it in your head that this is the kid we're taking at 22, this is the kid we're taking at 22, are you doing yourself a disservice by not looking more expansively at other options? That is the one point that is worth making here when talking about being mad at the Bulls front office with the Hutchison pick if you think it's boring and if you think it's just predictable because 
while I do think that I, I see potential for Hutchison and his fit in this Bulls roster and his NBA skill, that is something that is absolutely worth mentioning. Did they just take this kid because true to form of this front office, they scout a guy and they become obsessed with the guy and they can only think about getting that one guy. Look, I think if he didn't have the promise and other other teams didn't know about this promise going in, I don't even think he would have been available at 22. I felt like that there would have been other teams ahead of the Bulls between 17 and 21 that would have take the, taken the risk on this kid. And because of the bizarreness of, of the draft commitment and the promise and him shutting down his workouts and not privately working out for anybody, I think that more solidified the pick than anything else at, at 22. If that didn't happen, I don't think he would have been available at 22 for the Bulls to take. That's just that's just me being honest here. And you look at the other teams that might have need wing positions or wing players at that position, um, you look at the Spurs. He would have been a good fit with the Spurs. The Bucks would have been an interesting pick there. The Hawks and the Timberwolves as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you got to give this kid an opportunity to go out there and show us that he's going to do something more than just be attached to this whole trade, uh, this this agent commitment. And so I'm willing to give this kid every opportunity. And I like what I've seen on film already. And the one other thing that I will say is you don't normally see a player with a usage percentage as high as Chandler Hutchison had last season and on top of that his production too I mean the kids score 20 points per game what more do you want from the guy especially when your usage percentage is damn near 30 percent 33 his usage percentage his senior year was 33.2 so that was the highest in the Mountain West Conference and I get it you're probably all rolling your eyes saying oh it's just the Mountain West Conference who gives a shit but see still like that is very bizarre he he, he was the best player in that it, conference he won Mountain West player exactly. of the year exactly so I look at that and the small school connection too. Cool. I can name off 10 guys that went to small schools that turned out to be great players in the NBA or superstars. Like, just go through the list. You can do it. My favorite example, Dennis Rodman, Southeast Oklahoma State. Who the hell knew that was the school? Uh, yeah. CJ McCollum, <laughs> Lehigh. Uh, you look at Kawhi Leonard. You look at Paul George at Fresno State. Like, all of these guys yeah. came from small schools and were able to build themselves up. So I look at that and I say, give the kid a chance. Let's see what he can do in the first year. He's going to get plenty of opportunity in the rotations. And this is really the true solid only wing player that the Bulls have. So I imagine that he's going to get a lot of production. Matt, the final thing that I wanted to wrap up with was my most disappointing thing of the night. And that, of course, comes with the Chicago Bulls. Out of anything that happened in the NBA draft, this was by far the most aggravating and irritating thing that happened the entire night. The Bulls held their press conference while the NBA draft was still going on. I have the receipts of when the Bulls started their their press conference, 9.43 p.m. The last pick in the first round didn't get announced till 9.45 p.m. So they started their press conference while the first round was still going on. That just goes to show you how much they they care about second round picks and what they really yeah. care about. And I was so pissed I, off last night. You were pissed off. I couldn't help but laugh. I was like, oh, we're, we're already doing this press conference while the draft is still happening? Because um, somebody, you know, Woj or Stein or whoever tweeted that some, I can't remember which team, but somebody late in the late 20s was open to trades. There was some tweet like that. Um, when we were getting into like 28, 29, 30. 
Uh, and I was like, oh, I wonder if the Bulls are going to maybe try and like trade back into this, uh, you know, add another play. And, and I was like, oh, no, they're already holding their press conference. They're, they're clearly finished for the night. Um, so, I mean, I laughed at that. But I laughed at it. You you could be mad about it. It's stupid. Um, it, like, Yeah, it it is. It is. It is what it is. Clearly, the Bulls picked the guys that they wanted at seven and 22. And we're like, all right, we're done here. Um I, I maybe they were like maybe this was another Jordan Bell occurrence. We're like, well, we didn't we didn't see anybody we liked in the 30s and beyond. Eh, why bother? Maybe they should get their heads out of their asses and figure. Hey, you know what? We've done a lot of things for bad press over maybe the last couple of months, and if you want to extend this out for years, like you can do that. Even if you weren't going to do anything in the second round, hold your press conference till the draft is over. Like, what kind of idioticness is is holding your your post draft press conference while the entire second round is still going on? I don't understand that. And if uh, look, this solidifies any argument that the Bulls have no interest in drafting in the second round, and it pisses me off. There is talent that can be there, and in a rebuild, you're in the first year of end of your first year of your rebuild. And you mean to tell me you can't find anyone, a flyer on somebody like that has slid down? We talked about it. Kata Bates-Diop was one of those guys that slid. And I know you said he slid super far. I get that. Gary Trent Jr. went in the mid-30s. Guys like that, the Bulls could have found a way to make up for what they did last year in selling that second round pick by buying one in this round. And I think they could have yep. saved face yep. by saving everything that the fans were pissed off about all year long. They could have saved a lot of those fans by at least, at least engaging in the opportunity of going into the second round and buying one of those picks. The 76ers had, what, two or three picks in the second round? They sold one to the Lakers? Like, look, I just, I don't understand it. And it, it, it pisses well, me off so much, I mean, even though the Bulls had such a good draft. Okay, okay, okay. Before you friggin' give yourself <laughs> I'm have heart an aneurysm here. here. Let, me, let me calm you down <laughs> for a second. Yes, yes, the... Bulls front office's lack of interest in second round picks over the recent few years is very maddening and annoying. And you say it's just grossly irresponsible and it's it's you know, it's stealing from the fan base to just throw second round picks away like that. All right. Well, we also were just on this pod the other day talking about how Paul Zipser is not long for this world, and he is the most recent example of the Bulls actually using a second round pick it's not like they hit a lot second round picks do not hit all that often um yeah they could have looked to buy a second round pick instead of selling one away like they did last year because the bulls actually were one of a few teams that couldn't take in money in any kind of deal this year uh because of where they are financially right now the fact that they had taken that 3.5 million last year so the bulls could have looked to buy one if they wanted to but I will remind you that with two first-round picks and the likely re-signings of Zach Levine and David Nwaba, are they and the two-wake guys that they're interested in keeping around right now, particularly Antonio Blakeney, wait, what, do they have a roster spot for that guy if they're theoretically going to try and buy their way or trade their way back into the second round? Because right now it looks like there's not a roster spot for that hypothetical third person that they wanted to draft last night. So just keep that in mind. You could be pissed that this Bulls front office still doesn't value second round picks. That's fine. But look at the, I mean, look at actually like the logistics of where they were last night and what their roster number stands at right now. I don't think that they were going to go to all sorts of trouble and jump through hoops and most notably spend money because we know they don't like to do that when they don't have to 
on a second round flyer that they probably weren't all that keen about keeping around anyway. So like don't don't give yourself a freaking aneurysm about it because last night it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Even with all of that in mind, still really hold your press conference after all 60 picks are announced. Like even in that fact if you had no interest in the second round, like this is just another instance of bad PR. This is bad. Like I just for Bulls fans that are sitting there ready to blow a gasket like I am, like it, it just it boggles my mind that there is such there is value in the second round. And for a team that's rebuilding, there's a ton of value. And I get it. Roster spots might not have, might have been limited and they might not be able to, to keep guys around. I can't think of how many roster spots at this moment that they're going to have open after putting on Wendell Carter Jr. and Chandler Hutchison. I want to imagine it's probably only one or two spots, depending on what they do with Noah Vonley, uh, David Nawaba, and when Zach Levine comes back. Um, maybe they didn't have a roster spot, but still. Really, hold your press conference after all 60 picks are announced. At least give me the facade that you are interested in the second round and not just blatantly put it in my face that says... It's it's kind of hilarious. And, and, to, and like and from my perspective, I, it's 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 classic Bulls front office, but it's also it's a double middle finger to the fan base. That's what it is. Yeah, which is which is hilarious because hey, guess how many middle fingers this fan base has thrown at them over the last few years? Lots of them. And this is the Bulls front office giving a middle finger right back at us. I can't help but laugh at it. I, I really can't, man. I, I mean, I get I get why you're upset and you're you're allowed to be upset by that. But I think it's freaking hilarious. Um, I hope two or three of these guys in the second round end up popping in the NBA because then we can really go back to why the Bulls after one oh year of a God, rebuild. Oh my God, Jordan Bell just won a title, you guys. The Bulls front office is so stupid. Oh, cracks me up. Uh, real quick, Jordan, before we get out of here, uh, and we could talk about this more extensively on Monday's episode, but Chris on Twitter uh, asked us uh, a question that I wanted to get to real quick. Looking at Looking at adding Carter, adding Hutchison, look at what other t- tanking lottery teams added to their rosters. Do you think the Bulls are tanking again next year? Do you think, well, tanking or not tanking, do you think the Bulls are a lottery team next year? Where do you think the Bulls are picking next year? Assuming assuming no like crazy jump in their lottery luck. If we're keeping the roster the exact same and imagine that they're not going to be this quote-unquote sneaky players in free agency, whatever the hell that means... I think this is going to be another year where we're going to see this Bulls team maybe take a little bit of a baby step towards being competitive, but I think you're going to be end up you're going to end up somewhere between six and ten next year, and which is fine. Like if that's the way the Bulls are going to go with this, and it's another year in the lottery, I'm okay with that. We've we've heard now since they didn't want to use their cap they didn't want to use their cap flexibility to gain another pick in this draft or to take on a bad contract then that means that they're going to go and try to put all of their chips into the table and get a free agent in 2019 or 2020. They've said that they've had their eyes on those free agent classes for the last few years. So I get that. All right, fine. Sure. But really, look at the history of free agents coming here. So I I just don't understand that, too, to that facet. But I think they're going to be back, probably back in the lottery. I'd like to see really good things from Hutchison and Carter this season. And if the Bulls were smart at all, they'd give the most rotational minutes to those five guys. Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, Chandler Hutchison, 
Lowry Markinen and Wendell Carter Jr. I get it, they're probably going to start Robin Lopez for the first, what, 20, 30 games of the season, see if they can get any value by trading him at the deadline. I get that too, but those five guys, your five young core pieces, and then Bobby Portis off the bench, those guys should be getting the most minutes on this team next year without a doubt, and trying to develop those guys. And I think the Bulls are probably going to be back in the lottery somewhere between 6 and 10 again next year. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's it really is a shame that uh, the Bulls did kind of screw up this year. This was the year to get a top three pick. And um, the winning streak, when Nico came back, really they just shot themselves in the foot. And then they also stacked up a few more wins late in the season. Um, I mean, they talked all season long about how much they value the leadership of Robin Lopez and, that's, and, and Justin Holiday, And that doesn't mean nothing. Clearly, when you have a very young team that's losing a lot of games, you need strong-minded veteran leaders in the locker room to keep everybody on board. And Lopez and Holiday did that. But they also played a lot of minutes and contributed to some wins that the Bulls shouldn't have gotten. So when you're talking about if it's going to be another lottery season next season, you have to see – I mean, tra- trades can, can go. I, I know we've got kind of a little bit of a dead zone now between now and July 1st, and we figure out what's happening with Kawhi and then LeBron and then the rest of the dominoes fall and free agency. But the Bulls should be on the phone right now saying, hey, do you want Justin Holiday? Hey, you want Robin Lopez? We'll take some second-round picks for him. Honestly, at that point, like the idea of Robin Lopez mentoring Wendell Carter Jr. is is a nice idea, but it's not it's not critical. It's not necessary. The Bulls can add some you know former NBA center to their coaching staff if they want to, because right now, what's in the Bulls' best interest is to be a losing team again next year. The 2019 class isn't that strong. It's certainly not as deep as the 2018 class. We know how those lottery odds are getting restructured. The Bulls could really benefit from another lottery pick next year. And they, if they play all of their best players, including their veterans, for a good chunk of the season, are probably, unfortunately, going to be bordering right around a team that is not good enough to make the playoffs and not bad enough to be at the top of the lottery which is unfortunately where they were this year when they were supposed to be at the top of the lottery. One other thing I just want to add real quickly to your conversation there. The Nico Miritich and the whole, the players went on that mini win streak. Look, I'm not going to blame the players for that. They're not out there to lose games. So I get that. But the other thing too is I get that they, I said the number one goal was to get a top five pick and they completely failed that. I think that's been harped on and well-documented and that's been plenty of our conversation over the past couple of months and we've been angry and red-faced about it the entire time. But I also look at, at it this way too. If Nico Miritich doesn't come back and they don't go on that win streak and he doesn't absolutely dominate in the month of December, do you get a first round pick for him? Do you get that number 22 pick this year? Probably not. No, no, you don't. You absolutely don't. So keep that in mind um, as well. I think Bulls fans out there, keep that in mind as well. Um, and I get you'll probably come back with saying, oh, who gives a shit about his 22nd pick overall? Like, we could right. have had the top uh, well, five. Well, I'd, I'd rather have Nico than Chandler Hutchison. One, I don't know if I would at this point, given age and, and, and Look, potential. Nico was a free agent after this season, and, and you think he was really going to come back on a team with Bobby Portis there after what no. happened in October? So he walked for nothing. It would have been Pau Gasol all over again. Well, no, I mean, he had the two-year deal, and he really wanted the Bulls to pick it up, and the Bulls had to toss in their second-rounder so that the Pelicans would pick it up for Nico. Remember that whole charade uh, and that whole ordeal when the trade was trying to go down. But, I mean, my opinion, like, looking back at it, the Bulls getting a first-rounder for Nico when what we thought the Pelicans' first-rounder would turn into 
was a really good deal because that he had zero value on the on the free agent market less than a year before that happened. Literally zero. He came back to the Bulls with zero offers, and they were able to get a first round draft pick for him. And not only that, let's all remember that that trade happened like right after the Boogie Cousins injury. So Boogie goes down, and all of a sudden. Everybody's thinking, all right, well, yeah, Anthony Davis is a stud, but the Pelicans are going to fall apart. Nobody saw the Pelicans going on that huge streak towards the end of the season when, you know, they rattled off like, you know, whatever it was, like 15 wins in 19 games in March and April to make, to like steam their way into the playoffs, steamroll their way into the playoffs. That was maybe going to be a lottery pick, a second lottery pick for the Bulls when that trade went down. So it's unfortunate that the Pelicans. You know, put picked themselves up by their bootstraps and, and had a great end to their season. Congrats to them. But the pick that was 22 when that Nico trade happened looked like it was a trade that might be as high as the tail end of the lottery. So getting that value for Nico at that time, yeah, the seven win, the seven game win streak totally screwed us over. But that for at the at the time looks like a pretty darn good win for the Bulls as far as trades are yep, concerned. Yep, I'm I'm with you there. And look, I get that he had a second year on his option too. I don't think the Bulls would have picked that up even if they went into the season we're going to let him walk for nothing. Like I just felt like the the relationship there was unrepairable and both I think both sides, especially Nico's side said pretty much he didn't want to have anything to do with Bobby Portis, so there's that factor too. So I get it everything that that's been said there too. So just keep all of that in mind as well. We've got so much more for you in next week's episodes. We're going to play all the voicemails that you guys left, part of your draft reaction. So if you want to do that, you can hit us up at 331-979-1369. If you want to comment on anything that we had to say to, on today's show or anything earlier on in this week, hit us up there with your text and your voicemails. You can always hit us up on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Remember, we're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com, and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Once again, hit us up with all your texts, your reactions, your voicemails, and our line at 331-979-1369. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. For Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation, have a wonderful weekend this weekend. We will be back on Monday with a fresh episode and all of your reaction next week. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Bulls Nation, deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.